hello, everyone. So this is my fourth time preaching today. So, but I still have the energy and excitement. Yeah. So sorry about the delay. I just preached in my, um, the sanctuary and then threw my robe off and ran down the hallway. So that's great. Um, but really, it is such uh, an honor to be here. I was always slotted to preach in modern worship today, so you're going to have me regardless. But um, uh, we are in week two of our sermon series, I'm Sorry, What? And let me tell you how this all happened that, uh, that I'm here. So uh, ever so often, Chris and Stephanie and I get together to look at preaching schedules, and we love to give Stephanie and Chris a break ever so often. Because I don't know if you know this, uh, writing a sermon is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time. And so um, I foolishly was like, yeah, Stephanie, I haven't been in modern in a while. Go ahead and throw me in. Not realizing there's this difficult passages sermon series that I really should have said like anything but that. But I didn't look at the dates. Um, and so she's like, sure, January 23rd. I'm like, okay. And then um, Chris and his family, quarantine. And so uh, I needed to do all of those too. I'm like, man, I better make this sermon really good. And uh, it's a, it's a great passage. Let me tell you, because when I texted all my clergy friends to say, Hey, by curiosity, have, has anyone preached on this or anyone have like some inspiration? And most of the replies had to do something along the lines of, what did you do? (laughs) I was like, great for the, thanks for the encouragement, y'all. Um, but you'll see why, because this scripture is what the scholars refer to as, well, it's a doozy. So let's go ahead and read. We're going to be in Second uh, Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. They said to him, See now, we have fifty strong men among your servants. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and thrown him down on some mountain or into some valley. He responded, no, do not send them. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, send them. So they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they came back to him, he had remained at Jericho. He said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Starts to get really good in a little bit, y'all. Just wait. (laughs) Now the people of the city said to Elisha, the location of this city is good, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then Then he went to the spring of water, threw the salt into it, and said, thus says the Lord, I have made this water wholesome from now on. Neither death nor miscarriage shall come down, come from it. So the water has been wholesome to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Here we go. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go away, bald head. Go away, bald head. 
When he turned around and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two she-bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel and then returned to Samaria. It's the word of God for the people of God. <laughs> Thanks be to God. So uh, I know you heard nothing before the bear saying you were tracking with me and then you got the bears like, I have no idea what happened before. But I was thinking about, okay, what would your reactions be based on who you were when you read this story? So I came up with a list. So let's check it out. So if you are a teenage boy, you are thinking, yeah, bears, this is great. All right, the next one, if you're a child, you're like, wait, what? What happened? <laughs> and then if you're a parent, oh, those poor innocent children. And then, see, this is why we shouldn't tease bald men, my husband. <laughs> he does love this story, though. He loves it. Great anti-bullying campaign, teachers, and then for pastors, how am I supposed to preach on this? So how am I? So I started thinking about, okay, what would be helpful is probably looking at the larger story of First and Second Kings. So while they are two separate books, they're meant to be read as one continuation coming out of Second Samuel. And two major players kind of kick off First Kings, most likely names you might recognize, David and Solomon. Now, when I was doing exegetical work, there was plenty of names I didn't recognize, lots of kings, lots of prophets, a lot of people. I was like, I have no idea who this is. But David and Solomon, I know. So David, for those of you who don't know, he was, for the most part, a really grand king. He did really good work, had some not-so-great moments, but overall was great. And God had promised that this great king would come from his line that would rule over uh, all the nations and establish God's kingdom. It would go back to that, to fulfill that promise that was given to Abraham. And David did a lot of work. He unified tribes, he established stability, and really worked hard at some sort of unity. And his son Solomon does a pretty good job too. He continues on, has a few bad moments as well. But it's all these kings that come after these two that really make a mess of things. Israel gets split into two kingdoms. The nor um, so northern kingdom is called Israel. The southern becomes Judah. Jerusalem is in Judah. And then the capital in Israel will eventually be Samaria. And there's this king, Jeroboam, that is, you know, jealous, doesn't want people going to Jerusalem to worship. So he decides to build some temples, Dan and Bethel, complete with golden calves, just like God always wanted. And the story continues to get worse and worse. Story after story, kings are, are murdering and, and plotting, and there's these coups, and they're disobeying and forgetting God, and there's slave labor, and there's even this king that's like, hey, let's, let's do child sacrifice again. I mean, we're talking... A huge mess. And then there's the prophets that enter. Now, you may not know the role of a prophet, but I thought the Bible Project, which is a wonderful resource if you're looking for videos or podcasts to learn a lot of information in a short amount of time that can really impress your friends at Bible study and small group. But this is what they say about prophets. A prophet, uh, their role is to speak on God's behalf, 
They are covenant watchdogs. They call out idolatry and injustice, and they challenge the people to repent and follow God. Now, Elijah may be one of the most famous, most uplifted prophets. Um, During Advent, you may have heard how um, John the Baptist was kind of referred to as maybe a new Elijah or carrying on that presence, um, which was a really big compliment and a lot of pressure. And one of Elijah's, even if you don't know everything he did, one of his most famous acts that you may recall is when he challenged 450 other prophets in Baal. And he, what he did is he, there was this big altar and he drenched it with water and he called on to God and fire came out and it just like incinerated everything and the water was like licked up from the altar. And he won that challenge, I guess, basically to say, yeah, my God is real. This Yahweh that I worship is real. And even despite huge things like that, huge miraculous things that he did, people still didn't want to follow this God. They ridiculed, they still rejected. They kept going on about their business. And then there's Elisha, who follows Elijah, which for the record, I mean, could his name not be something like Jim or Mark or something a little bit easier? It's very confusing. But Elijah and Elisha were kind of a very Moses-Joshua sort of relationship. Elijah has passed on this, this thing. I know you don't recall what I read before the bears, but Elijah has been lifted up. He, he goes up into the clouds. And Elisha, having the spirit of uh, Elijah on him, an appointed prophet from God, who even does double, does even more than Elijah, who is there to get people on track, to end injustice and slavery and idolatry, is also ignored and ridiculed. But really, it's God they're rejecting. The prophets did not have, you know, good luck often. But really, it was the people saying, no, I don't want to hear anything that you have to say that has to do with that God. I reject that God. But Reagan, the bears, can we get back to the bears? That brief look at First and Second Kings was great, but I need to know about the bears mauling the children. That's what I came here for. What do I do with that? And I thought about that for a long time. A long time. I, I went all over the internet. I looked at many commentaries. I sent more bat signals out to clergy friends who just replied with memes and funny videos. Nothing that was remotely helpful. And I just thought, how do I make sense of this story? What is the message? Well, first of all, I want to clear up one thing. The translation isn't so great. It probably wasn't 42 young boys or small boys. It was most likely men from the temple that were advocating for idol worship. So does that make it slightly better that it was just men? Probably not. It's still human life, but I tried. I'm trying here. Here's the thing. I don't think God, through Elisha, made bears come out and attack these men. It just doesn't line up what I believe about who God is, the true character of God. And I do that because I look at more scripture. I lay it all out. 
and I say, hmm, which one's not like the other? <laughs> and I use reason and experience. Last week, Stephanie did a fantastic job laying out how we read scripture, how Methodist, how our theology comes to be. If you haven't listened to it, I'd highly, highly encourage you to listen to it. It's such a great tool, especially when you're reading difficult passages like this. And I thought, okay, that, that makes you feel a little bit better. But then there's this part of God that I, I really believe is true, and that God is a God of justice. Which you're like, oh gosh, where's she going? <laughs> is God's way of justice killing? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I do know that God will not stand for hate or injustice or idol worshiping or anything like that. But I don't believe God ever uses violence to achieve God's will. Despite what maybe some scriptures will say, I don't think that's the way God works. What I do see and what I know from scripture is that God sent prophets to help repair what was broken. And there were a great deal of prophets that came after Elisha. So it proves that God would not give up on us, that God kept moving toward us, that God kept coming for us. And it made me think how we can maybe get lazy taking to heart what God is speaking to us or even reject the message. So think about the bigger, more applicable or timeless lessons that God, um, what scripture says about who God is. Rather than get caught up in the weeds of stories like the bears or some other ones, what is this whole book saying about who God is? And what I see is that it's, there's this God that's trying to repair the brokenness and have relationship with us and have this covenant. First and second Kings is a mess. People make a mess of things and eventually it leads to the exile. One of the darkest and hardest parts of our salvation history but I know that our story does not end there. In fact, I thought uh, what would be helpful is to read how the end of 2 Kings comes to a close. Probably a story that many of us have never read, but it's so important and we miss it. So let's look at 2 Kings chapter 25, 27 through 30, which says this. In the 37th year of the exile, of King Jehoiakim of Judah. In the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, King Evil Merodok of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released King Jehoiakim of Judah from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the other seats of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put aside his prison clothes. Every day of his life, he dined regularly in the king's presence. For his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, a portion every day as long as he lived. Why do I read this? King Jehokin was from the line of David. He should have been ruling, but he and his people were in exile. And he gets a seat at a table where he does not belong. He gets an invitation and that invitation is looking to the future, is what is to come, because there will be an invitation where David's line will rule. And that invitation will be open to all of us. 
This little story shows that God did not forget the promise. God does not forget us. It's his invitation of love and grace and care. And many of us will miss it because we don't get to the end of 2 Kings. We stop at the bears. This little section, this little ending of 2 Kings brings me back to what I know and believe about God. One of love, one of grace, one of second chances. One that invites us to a table to be in relationship. Not one that mauls us with bears when we don't listen. Now, I'm not sure I helped you with this story today. I hope I did, maybe just a little bit. What I pray is obvious that there is more to what is just written in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. There's so much that surrounds this story that comes before it that you have to kind of dig deep and interpret. And there's so much that comes after. There's a deeper, there's so much more going on. But to me, what matters most is that a story does not end in 2 Kings 2, verses 13 through 25. Thank goodness, what a downer <laughs> that that. So I give thanks to God for continuing to come to us, to speak to us, to forgive us, to send prophet after prophet after prophet, and then eventually Jesus Christ to us to show how much that God loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. So there's more to the story. You just have to keep reading. Amen.